Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams wraps up the series, Church Talk. In this message, Brandon looks at the word sanctification. Most people have heard this word before, but have no idea what it means to be sanctified by God. He explains that through sanctification, God's grace is being worked out of us, and in turn, God is working righteousness into us. Good morning. Everybody good today? Glad to be here? Excited? All right. It's good. Let's get into it. Um, we're going to continue our series. By the way, my name is Brandon. If you're new here, we are glad you're here and um, and thankful for it. Um, and I hope you, that you will get a lot out of this today. Um, we're going to continue or actually conclude uh, the Church Talk series this week. Six weeks, um, but it's time for it to come to an end so we can move on to something else. Um, today, we're gonna, going to be looking at the word sanctification. Um, like most of us can't spell it, much less know what it means. So we are going, going to be looking at this word and um, talking about what it means. Um, we've been looking at different words throughout this series and, and some of these church words that we throw around like saved and uh, justification and uh, repentance and a lot of great fun topics like repentance and sin and you know just things like that that everybody gets excited about when they come to church and here's the preacher is about to preach on. But today we're going to look at sanctification and we're going to continue um, this series, wrap it up today and start something new next week. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be called In Rhythm and we're going to look at this, this new um, th- next three messages um, as if uh, when John the Apostle put his ear to Jesus' chest when they were eating at the Last Supper. And it, and, and it was always so cool to me to think about that because when he put his ear to the chest of Christ, think about what he heard. His heartbeat, right? <laughs> he heard the heartbeat of God. Is that not cool? And so the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at what it would be like if we put our ear to the heart of God. What would it be saying? And so we're going to look at three things that I believe are absolutely crucial uh, to knowing Christ and, and understanding his heart. We're going to be looking at those in the next three weeks. You don't want to miss it. It'll be awesome. It'll be a lot of fun. Now, today, we got a lot of information to cover. I told the first service, I was like, listen, this could be a train wreck. I, you know, and, and the only thing I'm going to say, man, is we survived. I'm not saying the train didn't crash. I'm just saying we all walked away, okay? And so it, it's, it's a little, little bit longer today. Um, but my prayer is that something will help you in, as we look at this, um, this word sanctification. That something that I say, maybe one thing uh, that you can walk out of here. I hope it's more than one. But you can walk out of here, apply to your life, and it will help you um, in your Christian walk. So what we're going to do, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 6. We're actually looking at uh, three chapters of Romans today. We're going to try to move through it quickly. Because of that, I'm going to try to just read selected scriptures out of each part. Um, so that we won't be here all day. I actually um, went through and read from 6 to 8 all the way through. It was 10 minutes by itself, right? Because I'm you know, reading at a slower pace because I don't read fast. And so I was reading it through. It was like 10 minutes. I was like, we can't do that. So we're just going to pick some scriptures through each, from each section. And uh, we're going to talk about those. So Romans chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. We're going to pray. And then we're jumping in. You ready? Romans 6. One says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Let's pray that God would speak to us. Father, I pray right now that, uh, that through your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts, begin to move in our lives, and, and just, um, God, through your word, as we read this scripture, God, I pray that it would pierce who we are. And uh, God began to rearrange our, our DNA, our spiritual DNA, that it would look more like you. God, we love you and we thank you. We praise you. It's in the awesome name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. How many of you in here today have, have children? Anybody? I know we've got several, several parents. How many of you have ever babysat children? Yeah. So most everybody has some experience with children. Now, this will expose me a little bit, but I think every parent or every babysitter has probably felt this at one time, that your head was absolutely about to explode or spin off of your body because of the way the children were acting, right? Anybody ever experienced that? That I don't care how good your kids are, they're just just like, my my mom didn't raise her hand. That's awesome. Um, But because I was good. I'm just kidding. Um, But 
But we've all experienced that, 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 that the kids just like, just blow up. And it's nothing worse than being like at Walmart or being at the mall. And then your kid decides to throw a temper tantrum and they're just pitching a fit and everybody's looking and it's crowded. And you're just, you can't like just go like just crazy on them and beat them right there. And so you just smile and like you're smiling, but you're like, I'm going to kill you when we get home. I swear, boy, I am going to beat you like you've never been beat. You wait till we get home. And then you get home and you don't ever do anything, right? And so, but. But, or like we do stuff, we'll go and we'll do things all day long that is geared strictly to our children. We'll take them somewhere. It'll be all kind of fun. We spend all kind of money. We do all this stuff. And then it's time to leave. And it's like, you decide where you want to go eat or something like that. And you don't go where they want. And it's like, I want to, we don't ever do anything I want to do. We don't ever, you're the worst parent. And they're just going off like that. Right. And, and then it's at that point that I usually um, say something that just changes the whole situation. I'm just like, son, you need to realize everything's not about you in life. And it's like, he's like, oh, dad, thank you. I got... Where was my mind? He's seven, right? He's like, oh, well, thank you for clarifying that. Well, let's go eat where you want to go. You know, it, it doesn't work like that. But sometimes I do. I want to say, son, there are some things you need to realize about life. And, and the thing that I believe Paul is telling us in these very first um, verses of Romans chapter 6 is I believe he's saying there's some things you need to realize about the Christian faith. Because we as Christians, those of us who have accepted Christ, um, and those of you who haven't, I pray that you will, and you'll probably realize this. We love to talk about justification which is as if our sins never happened, right? Man, we love to talk about saved, which is coming out of chapter five, man. Been saved. It says where, where sin abounded, grace abounded even more, where, where sin increased, um, grace increased all the more. We love that, right? Because it means that all the bad things we did, Christ died for them, they're done and are no more. And we're like, woohoo, baby, yes. You know, I've been forgiven. That was for Chip. There you go, Chip. Um, <laughs> make a, I don't want to interrupt your breakfast, so if... If, uh, if you need another donut, man, you just go ahead and go get it. <laughs> Can somebody make a run to Dunkin' Donuts? We're out. But I don't even know where, where what was that? We're talking about Romans, right? Romans chapter six. And so the thing about it is we love justification. We love to be forgiven. We love this thought of my sin is cleansed. The, the problem though is most Christians, a lot of times we don't go any further than that. We get saved and we sit, man. That's where we're at. We're like, I'm saved. Woohoo. There is no evidence. There is nothing that has really happened in my life, man. But I, I know I prayed a prayer. I know I said I, what he said, every eye head bowed and every eye closed, man. I put my hand up, you know, but we never move beyond that. We, we get stuck right there. And, and, and I, I think what Paul is saying is, listen, grace has forgiven you. But listen to this. He says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He's like, no, no, there's something more. God wants to do more in your life. God wants to accomplish more in your life than just forgiving you. It is awesome that we have a God who loves us so much. He comes to where we are in the midst of our mess. But isn't it even more awesome that we not only have a God who forgives us, but that wants to make us like him? It is. Yeah. It's awesome that we get to be recreated in the image of God. That we get to, to gain not just give this perfection that's given to us, it actually gets worked out in us. And in fact, I want to give you this definition of, of sanctification. It's God's grace working out of you the righteousness He has given you. It's God's grace working out of you what He's given you. It's Him beginning not just to give you righteousness, He begins to work it out. And you need to understand, it's all by grace. It is all by grace. And that's what you're going to see, um, I hope, here today as we go through some of these scriptures, is that it is all by grace that we have been saved, and it's all by grace that we can begin to live the life that Christ died for us to live, a life that imitates Him, that walks in His footsteps. Um, so many times, grace becomes this license to sin. Now, how many of you have never known somebody like that, right? They, they're like, well, you know, they'll do it. And they're like, well, by the grace of God, you know, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. And it's like, is that really all you got? You know, is that really the best you got for God, for a God who died for you, who, 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 who took your, your junk and, and made you righteous? Is that really all we got? And, and so it's not this license to sin. It's also not a, a crutch that we just limp through life on. See, I don't believe Jesus died to give us a crutch, this, this grace crutch to limp through life on. I believe he died to give us new legs so that we could walk a different life. 
He died to give us a new way to walk, a new way to talk. He died so that we could begin to live the life that he wanted us to live from the beginning. So it's not just that we lean on grace and we're just like, oh, well, you know, this is the best I'll ever be. God is working. God is doing things in you. And if we'll allow him, he'll begin to shape us and mold us to walk the life that he wants us to walk in, that he walked himself. Listen to this. We're going to read um, Romans 6, 3 and 4 and 11 through 14. Listen. It says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now listen to 11 through 14. It says, In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. And listen to 14. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. As we go through chapter 6, I want to just tell you like three things that we need to realize. The first is this. We need to realize that Jesus didn't just die for our forgiveness. He died so that our lives would actually um, change, that we begin to look like him. The second one is this, and this is what we're taking out of these verses, is that we need to realize that we should no longer be slaves to sin. He's saying, listen, just as you died with him in baptism, he said, so you've been raised to this new life. He's saying, you know, when we baptize people, what do we do? We put them under the water. We bring them back up. It symbolizes the burial and death of Christ. And he's saying, if you're in a faith union, you've joined yourself with Christ, then you have died just as he has. And so don't live for sin anymore. You have died to that just as Christ died for your sin. You have died to sin and don't live in it anymore. Sounds great, doesn't it? He's like, just don't do it. You know, just don't do it anymore. And it goes on and he says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. In the same way as you've been dead, buried, brought to life, and you know you have eternal life, he's saying in the same way right now, recognize that you have newness of life. That it is in you right now because when Jesus died, he didn't just die, go to heaven and be like, good luck. He died, went to heaven and sent back the Holy Spirit to live in you. And he's saying, so now count yourself dead to sin. Realize that just as you're going to live in eternity with God, you're already alive. And he says, reckon yourself dead to sin. And I say reckon because it's in the South, right? It can be count it or it can be considered. But we like to say reckon. It's like, are you going to the ball game tonight? Well, I reckon. You know? And so we reckon ourselves dead to sin. We, we consider ourselves to be dead. And the, the, the truth of the Bible is he says, listen, You don't have to wait until you get to heaven to begin to live the life that God wants you to live. It is for now. It is for now. You can show the glory of God in your life now. That's pretty awesome that you and me, screwed up, jacked up, messed up sinners, can begin to display the attitude and character of God. That's pretty cool that we can do that. And so he says, you're not masters to sin anymore. You're no longer slaves to sin. You, you don't have to be um, just always going and giving yourself over to sin. He said, now you got a choice. You have a choice of not to have to live for your sinful desires. Listen, if you're not a Christian and you don't know Christ, then you're kind of just stuck, right? But when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit begins to dwell inside of you. He begins to live in you. And so there becomes another choice, another option for you. You can begin to live a different life. The problem is most of the time we just don't want to. We don't want to. And so he's saying here, you're no longer a slave to sin. Let's look at the third thing. Romans 6. We're going to read uh, 14 again and then 20 through 23. 14, for sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Then verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. But what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, the next thing we need to do is we need to realize that we have a new master. See, this is what they never tell you when you got every head bowed and, and every eye closed, is that like by raising your hand, you're committing yourself to another master. And Paul even apologizes a little bit for using this kind of imagery because the imagery of slave and slavery is not um, very, very pleasing. And he doesn't want us to take this image of God as this, this mean taskmaster slave who controls our life. But what he is saying is, listen, when you became a Christian, you submitted your life to him. 
You gave yourself to him to live for him and not to live for sin. It wasn't this that we, we got set free from sin. It was like, oh, okay, whatever. No, now we get the opportunity to live for God. How messed up is it that when we think about this so many times, we think about living for God, becoming like Christ, it creates a negative um, connotation kind of in our heart. That is jacked up, man. That God died so that we could begin to live like him, and yet when we think about living for him and, and, and changing our life, we're like, man, I don't want to do that. Do we know him? That's what my question is. Do we know him? Do we really know? Because my thing is, if we, if we know him, and he's working in our lives, and he has touched our heart, then how could we not want to become like him? And he's saying, listen, you don't, you don't have to change. You get to change. You get to be different. You get to become sanctified. You get to begin to walk in the righteousness that God himself has. And that's what he's done for us. He's given us this awesome opportunity to walk in this righteousness by dying to ourselves, by realizing that we've already died to that old stuff. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm dead? I'm going to get, I'm dead. I know I'm dead. And it's like, um, you know, maybe not like getting hit by a car, but there was just something that happened or you did and you thought, I'm going to die. Well, one time uh, when I was like 11, 12 years old, never been accused of being the smartest kid in town. So um, I was washing dishes. Uh, Mom used to leave me some, uh, some chores to do during, uh, during the day while she was at work during the summer while I wasn't in school. And so I was going to put the dishes in the dishwasher doing a good thing, right? Being a good son because she didn't raise her hand earlier. Told you I was trying to be a good son. And so I decided I'd wash the dishes and I got the dishes in there. No problem. Didn't drop any, didn't break any, but it was time to put the detergent in. And you know, cascade, something like that works really well. But when you squirt the, like the, the soap that you wash dishes with your hands with into the dishwasher, it don't work well. And so I'm in there, and I'm thinking, man, I got this lick. I close up the dishwasher, turn it on. I come back in a few minutes, and the kitchen is just like bubbles, just, just coming out everywhere. And I was like, my gosh, I'm dead. When she gets home, she's going to kill me. And so I'm just trying to clean it up. I called her on the phone. I was like, Mom, I don't know what happened, man. There's bubbles everywhere. And uh, so I had to go in and clean them up. And I was like, man, she is going to kill me. I mean, I just knew I was dead. I knew that there was something that, that man, I, I got to do something about this, right? In the same way, we ought to consider ourselves dead to sin. We ought to realize that sin is no longer our master. We need to realize that we have given ourselves to a new master, that we've done something different, that, that the things that we were living in before, they were of no benefit anyway. I mean, Paul's sitting here and he's saying, listen, that stuff you used to do, it was leading to death anyway. It was leading to death. Have you ever done something that was supposed to be to your benefit and it ended up not being worth anything? Like college? <laughs> Like, I went to school for like five and a half years, something like that. Got a construction management degree. I never used it. I never used it. I ended up being in a roofing business. I'm like, yeah, you don't use all the computer stuff when you're up there like a big asphalt mop dragging it across the roof. I was like, what did I waste all that time for? Yeah, and, and then now I'm a preacher. I'm like, way to go, construction management. That helps out. You know, and uh, I guess we can be building churches. I don't know. But um, anyway, I'm just like, that was of no benefit. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, man, you're living this life. You're, you're fighting against God and, and it doesn't benefit you anyway. And he goes on, and this is a really cool illustration that he gives. Paul was a, a genius, man. He was awesome. And it says in verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we love to quote that verse, don't we? It's on like cards where they put death, and then they turn it upside down. It says life, and so everybody's using it like in people's faces. Like, you're going to die if you don't know. And then flip it up, but you can have life. And so they <laughs> use those cards and stuff, which is cool. I mean, if it works. And, um, but this is the cool imagery behind this. Paul had an image in mind. And what he was trying to tell them is, is something in a military sense, something with military terms. Um, because the word for wages is actually this really um, interesting word called opsonia. Opsonia. Pretty sure that's how you say it. Um, and so it was a military word that meant the wages earned by the soldier. They go out and risk their lives. They give it their all. They do everything they possibly could. And then the king or the emperor would pay them their wage. That's what that word means. The other word is charisma. Charisma. And, and that word actually means a free gift. It's used in other places in the scripture too. But he's using this in a, with a military mindset. He's saying, listen, there's this, also this word called charisma. And what he's telling them is, listen, there was sometimes when the emperor, when the king, he would go and 
Maybe it was his birthday. Maybe it was because he had been raised up to be, actually be put on the throne. Maybe it was the anniversary of him being put on the throne. And as a celebration, he would give the soldiers this free gift. And he's saying, so listen, guys, here's the deal. You can work all your life. You can do everything that you think possible. You can go to church every Sunday. You can go to Sunday school. You can have perfect attendance. You can teach Bible study. You can do all these things. But in the end, what you earn is death. That's the best you can do. All your effort, all your activity, in the end, it equals death. Because none of us can attain the righteousness of God. But he says, but the gift of God is free. And when you accept Christ, you can have the free gift of life. Not because of what you've done or because of, of who you are or because of how good you've been, but because of Christ. And he's saying, which one are you going to work for? Do you want to work for the wage that equals death or do you want to work for Christ who equals life? That's our option. He's saying he's really leveraging both of those things against the other to say, why would you want to live for yourself? Why would you want to ever try to live for yourself when you can find life in Christ and you can live and serve him, the one who gave his life for yours, that you could actually even come to know God, that you could actually even find life. And he's saying, this is our options. This is what we can do. And so then he goes and he, trans, he kind of begins this transition. And this is the way I believe it sets up. Listen, um, Paul is here and he paints this pretty picture, right? In chapter six, you ought to be sin free, man. You can master sin because you're under the, the lordship and the guidance and, and your master is Jesus. And he paints this pretty picture. And, and I thought about this. I thought about like uh, how when new couples get married and they're always like, oh, it's going to be so wonderful. It's going to be, man, I can't wake up. I, I get to wake up next to him every day. And so excited. And, so, and then like three years later, like, my God, will you quit that snoring? You know, or you roll over and their mouth's right in your face and they got that morning breath going on. And it, it's just not the picture that you had in mind, right? It's not the picture that you thought of when you were thinking about, man, this is going to be so incredible, so great, so wonderful. I love it. Oh, oh gosh, I love him so much. You know, it was, that's not what you had in mind. And, and then I believe Paul right here has painted this amazing picture. He's telling us what we can be and what we should be in Christ. And then he goes, but let me tell you something. You live in a real world. You live in a real world that has been affected by sin and has been marred by sin and that has, is under the effects of, of Adam and Eve's choice and your choices. And, and you can't overcome this. You can't overcome this on your own. And so I believe in chapter 7 that he begins to lay out three things for us that will not overcome sin. Okay, this is one of those chapters that if you've been in church, everybody's like tossed it around and batted it around and tried to figure out what he's talking about. I believe he's telling us there are three ways that we cannot overcome sin. Okay, so let's read um, verses one through six, and then um, we're going to talk about this a little bit. It says in verse one, do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over man only as long as he lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law, that law and is not an adulteress, even though that she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to it. That you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when you were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The first way that we can't overcome sin is through legalism. Legalism cannot cause you to live a righteous life. Paul's talking about marriage. He's saying, listen, if the husband dies, the woman is free to marry whoever she wants. So what he's trying to tell you, ladies, is if your husband gets on your nerve, put a pillow over his head at night until he quits kicking. And then you can find something. That's not what he's saying. But, but some of you have thought about that and would not mind doing that. And we'll have, we have counseling for that. I know a good Christian counselor. We can hook you up. But here's the thing. Um, he's saying, listen, the law is only valid while you're alive. 
As soon as the husband dies, man, she can go and marry. And even by Jewish law, she not can be considered an adulteress. Even by society and, and the law of society, she's no longer considered an adulteress. So you can go live another. What he's trying to tell us is this. You belong to somebody else. You belong to somebody else. And then he goes on and he's like, why are you still trying to live by this written code? Why are you so caught up in this religious lifestyle that can't save you? Why are you so focused on the rules and the regulations? Because it can't change your life. We all know people who've been to church for 30, 40, 50 years. And man, they are the worst people we know. They're like, my goodness, are you scared of them? They're like, man, make sure I don't get in their seat. I might cut my throat, come out of the purse. <laughs> just leave you lying there, blood sacrifice. And, and you just just dead, kicking in the aisle. But it's true, man, because religion, it, it can't change you. It's a, religion does not lead to righteousness. A relationship with Jesus Christ and the God of the universe leads to righteousness. But our minds are focused so much on the rules. They're like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to get it right. And you never do. You never do. And he's saying, listen, legalism cannot change you. Listen, we need to have, we don't need to have a change of responsibility because the responsibility is to fulfill the law. The responsibility is to walk like Christ. We need to have a change of motivation. We need to realize that we don't live like God because we, we have to. We live like God because we can, because Christ died for us so that we could live like God. We need to change our focus and get it off of the symptom, which is sin, and get it on Christ, which is the cure. So many times we focus on our sin, we focus on, on, on what's wrong, and we never, ever put our eyes on Christ. We, we never live in that relationship with him. We never really know him. We never enter into this, this covenant relationship that he's offered with us, this agreement between us and him that he's offered to us. And so we struggle with the same things over and over again. Religion cannot save you. Religion cannot change you. Jesus Christ is the one who changes hearts. He and he alone has the power to change you and make you more like him and make you uh, into his image again. Listen to this. We're going to move to the second one. Romans 7, 7 and 8 and 11. It says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except from the, through the law. For I would have not... I would, man, I need to be, I, anybody that gives reading tutorials, I'll be glad to take, because I am struggling this morning. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. Verse 11, for sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commit, commandment, put me to death. The second one is this, following your heart will not lead to the God life. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? Like, just follow your heart. Anybody really want to do that? Because if I just follow my heart, I weigh like 495 pounds. I'd be eating everything I could get my hands on. Because my heart says, that brownie looks really good. I need to eat that. That pizza, give me some. Following our heart, Jeremiah 17, 9 says that our heart is deceitful above all things and beyond a cure. Do we really want to follow that? And yet Paul says this. He says, listen to me. He says, the law's good. He's trying to answer these Jews who were saying that the law, you know, well, the law's so important, the law's so important. He says the law is not the problem. The problem is you. The problem is me. The problem is that our heart is deceitful. The problem is that, that if we're left to ourselves, we get led astray. The problem is this, that until we deal with the core issue, the outside never changes. So many times we try to clean up the outside of the cup and the inside is still nasty. Right? And so here's the deal. I was, I, man, I, was, I went outside one day. I was inside doing something. I walked outside. Susan had some hedge clippers. And there were some bushes there. And she's like, wah, 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 wah. I mean, I thought, well, I don't know what I did, but I'm glad the bushes are getting it and not me. Because she was like, she was upset. And she was just working, I mean, just tearing them up, man. Just, and, and I walked down and I was like, my gosh, she's going to kill the bushes. And she hands me the clippers and is like, I got to go do something. And so she walks inside. And I get stuck with the clippers. And I think she even left the house. And she's like, you know, if you don't have them bushes cut down, when I get back, we're going to have it. No, she didn't say that. But, but she, you know, so I decided I'll cut these bushes now. And it kind of got to be fun because I was just tearing them up. And I thought, if I kill these bushes, I'll never have to cut them again. And so I'm cutting the bushes down. And I'm like, this is going to take care of them. We're done. Dead bushes. I don't care if it looks bad. It's cool with me. I just don't have to cut bushes anymore. Well, that was last spring. If you go by my house right now, those bushes are 
bigger than ever. They're huge. And I'm like, didn't we kill those things eight months ago? You know, why aren't they dead? And the thing is, and the truth of the matter is, it's the same way with sin in our life. See, we didn't pull those things up by the roots. We just cut the limbs off. So the, the, the thing that was controlling it, the thing that was giving it life was still there. And so many times in life, we try to deal with the bad fruit in our life and we never deal with the core issue of our heart. We never really deal with what's going on in here. And just so people think we're all right and so that we don't feel embarrassed and so that we can try to make ourselves add up to who they are and where they are, we try to pick all the bad fruit off of us and hide it behind our back. Don't let them see that. You know, we walk into church and, and we just got done like this outside trying to shake all the bad fruit off of us before we walked in church. <laughs> just so that when we walk in the door, people are like, well, he's an upstanding man. You know, he's like, what a, what a blessing. You know, and we say all those religious things. And, 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 and the problem is, if we don't change in here, nothing ever happens. Nothing ever happens. God has to do something on the inside. See, we can change, change our effort. We can put energy and effort into it. But the deal is, if we never allow God to change our hearts, we're never really going to change our actions. We're never really going to change the fruit of our lives until God changes our hearts. And so it's coming to this place of realizing that our heart can't be the one that leads us. Our heart can't, can't be the one that drives us. Listen, I want to give you five things real quick that, that I believe happens because the Bible says right here in 8 and 11 that sin took opportunity. It seized opportunity to work on us and to cause the law, which was supposed to be good, to actually work to our detriment. So listen to this. I believe there's five things that happen in our life that, that cause um, sin to seize opportunity and to control our lives. The first is this, that we always want what we can't have. Anybody ever been there? I have, man. I was at Mill Creek the other day. I'd been out there just studying a little bit out at the park, and, and I decided I'm going to leave. You know, it's time to get back to the church. So I'm, I'm coming, I'm pulling out. Man, I'll bet you there wasn't anybody else in the whole park, and the, a policeman comes around behind me. I'm like, well, maybe he was studying too. I don't know. Maybe he's reading the Bible. So I'm, I'm driving. I get to the stop sign. And who, who actually stops at stop signs? Anybody? You don't stop. You roll. You just kind of, you kind of hit the brakes, and then you kind of just ease on through, you know? And he's behind me, so I'm like, dang, man, I got to stop. And there was part of me, seriously, that was going, don't stop, man. Just roll. Just roll. <laughs> I was like, no, I got to stop. And there's something, it's like this little, little angel demon thing on my shoulders. I was like, no, I got to stop. I mean, he'll pull me over. He's like, just roll, man, just roll. Don't you submit to his authority. Don't you, you don't have to give in to those rules. You don't have to do it. And so I'm like, ah, oh, man, I'm going to roll. And I'm like, no, I got to stop. And so I stopped. And then I got up there to the next stop sign. I got to stop, I stop. And so, but there's this thing on the inside of us, man, that just wants us to, to just buck the system. We always want what we can't have. The worst thing I can do is when I'm leaving in the morning, um, and, and like a lot of Sunday mornings, Susan will still be in bed. Maybe one of the children are, are up, and Dake's on the couch watching television. And I walk out, and I'm like, Dake, Mama's asleep. Don't mess with her, and don't go outside. What do you think he's going to do? He's back there. Come on, Mama. I want something to eat. Give me, some, give me a waffle, Mama. Or either he's outside, you know. And, and, and you just tell them, you tell a child, don't do this. You tell an adult, don't do this. The very thing that you just told them is what they want to do. So the first thing is that we're always, we always want to have, want what we can't have. The second thing is this, that nature, our, our nature is selfish. And sin seduces our selfish nature. Anybody ever realize you are a selfish person? I have. My goodness, we had our first son. Lordy mercy, I thought I had died and gone to you know where. I was like, and, and see, I felt so bad. I'm just going to be real honest with you. I felt so bad because everybody was always like, man, wait, do you have a son? Or wait, do you have a, ch a little girl? Man, you just, oh, it's the most wonderful thing. And I was like, uh-uh, this thing wakes me up every four hours, every two, three, four hours. It's waking me up. And, and, and then I couldn't do anything. I mean, I couldn't go fishing. I couldn't go hunting. I couldn't play golf. I couldn't go to sleep when I wanted to. Sunday afternoon naps were gone. And, and I was just like, what in the world? It was my selfishness. Having a child taught me more about my selfishness than anything in the world. How selfish was I? I mean, I had to die to my selfishness. And then, you know, I mean, I, I don't give me wrong. He's like, well, I don't know why he didn't love his child. I, I love my child. It was just this, this flesh was rising up in me and, and going against everything that I knew. And, and this is something that we don't have to be taught. It is something that's born in us. You watch, man, you watch a child and you think, well, my child won't be like that. Uh-huh. Yes, he will. You try to take a sucker away from a two-year-old and see what happens. You, you, and see, here's the thing we do. We finally re recognize this. And so when they start pitching a fit, what we end up doing is we just, man, just, we just give them the sucker. 
Just like here. And then we're like, you got to pick your battles. That's like a cover up for I really don't want to have to deal with the issue, right? <laughs> and, and so we just like, you just got to pick your battles. And so we give them the sucker. It really means if I feel like fighting with them, I will. If not, I'm just giving them the sucker, right? And so we're born with this. This is just how we are. There's this selfish side. And sin comes in and appeals to our selfish side. And we deal with it from birth to the grave. I don't care who you are. Selfishness tries to rise up inside of you. The third one is this, that sin, um, I can't read my right. Sin promotes instant gratification and never, never delivers what promised. How many of you ever noticed that? There's always this thing that's going to make you happy. There's always this thing that's going to please you. And it never does. There's always the guy or the girl or the relationship or the, the car or the house or whatever it is that, that, that's going to please you, and it never does. There's always that one thing that, if, man, if I can attain it, if I could make this much money, then I'd be happy. If I could have this girl, then I'd be happy. And then you know what? It never works because there's one who is supposed to be the one who completes you, right? That's God. It's God. God's the one, not, not anything else. And so sin promotes instant gratification and never delivers what's promised. Number four, sin capitalizes on the, the Proverbs fourteen twelve. It says that there's a, a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Let me help you there. This is just, just to put it straightforward and move on. You don't know better than God. You don't know better than God. I don't know better than God. We're not that smart. Who are we to look at God and say, God, my way's the best. I know you've been doing this for like millions of years. That it's like without beginning, without end, but I know what's best. And so we just tell God, like, butt out, butt out. And so sin comes in and begins to tell us, you know, do it your way, man. You can do this. You can do, you, you got this. Do this. And as soon as we turn away, we find out that, that we don't know better than God. Number five, sin deceives us to think that we can get away with the consequences of sin. Man, how many times have you thought you got away with it and you didn't? How many times do you think what you're doing, you know it's not right, but it'll never bother me. It'll never really affect me. And then down the road, wham, you hit it head on and it it affects your life forever. We need to be realistic and understand that sin uh, does have consequences. Seven, um, looking at the third one, Romans 7, 14 through 24. I'm going to read this whole one because this is one of those famous passages that everybody talks about and everybody debates. And so I want to read this whole thing. Um, 14, 7, 14, it says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin is living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do not... Man, this is like... I told him earlier, it's like trying to read Dr. Seuss. Um, (laughs) For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not do, I want to do. This I keep on doing. (laughs) Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to be, do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in my, the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making it, me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. The third one is this. Guilt and shame can't save you. Guilt and shame can't make you live for God. He's saying, listen, the law is powerless. The thing that I'm trying to do, I can't do it. The thing that I'm trying to do, I'm trying to fulfill the law, is powerless. And he's going, man, I want to do this. I want to do I want to make it right. I want to do the right thing, but I can't. There's something in me that I, I just can't. I want to do what's right. I can't do it. How many of you ever been there? I want to do what's right, man. I decide I'm going to get up at 6 o'clock every morning, P90X, baby. P90X, I'm eating good. I'm going to do the right thing. And then the only problem comes at 5.45 the next morning when the alarm goes off. I'm like, man, I'm give, uh, 35, I can let go a little bit. You know, you just hit the snooze because you want to do things. You can't do them. There's no, there's no power to do them. And he's saying, listen, guilt and shame can't make you do them. You can beat yourself up. You can beat yourself up over and over again about the things you've done wrong, about the mistakes. He says, but listen, that's not going to change anything. The fact that you've messed up, the things that you've done wrong, they're not going to help you. And some of us hold on to sin and we hold on to shame and guilt for the things that we've done in our past like it's a golden nugget or something. 
It's almost like we worship it as if it could save us. And Paul's saying, get over it, move on, let go. Christ died for that. You, when you accepted Christ, you drew a line in the sand and you moved into a new life. He's saying, don't let that stuff hold you back. Don't let that stuff keep you from moving forward. You need to go on. You need to realize that Christ died for you and he saved you. But you'll never be able to live the life that Christ wants you to if you hold on to your sin and your shame and your guilt that Christ has already forgiven you for. And how many people, we live this life where, man, we are beat up day and night because of something that has gone on in our past. We just can't let it go. And if we're not going to move forward, guys, or if we're not going to let that go, it's going to be really hard to move forward. We need to realize that Christ died. He justified. You are forgiven. You've been given a new life in him. And so we have to begin to move forward. Now, here's the cool part, all right? I got like 30 seconds. No, I'm just kidding. I got a little bit longer than that. Um, sorry. Um, but here's the cool part. We're going into the chapter, Romans chapter 8. A lot of people talk about Romans 8, and they talk about it being like the pinnacle of the gospel. It's like the, the peak of, of the, the, the gospel mountain, right? It's, it's the, the, the climax of this, this um, gospel that Paul's been telling us about. And so Paul has been building this thing up since chapter 1. And, and he's been building it up, and he's about to bring it home in chapter 8. He's about to really hammer it and, and bring us to the, the, the peak of this um, gospel that he's been telling us about. And so he comes in, and he comes off of this, this thing of, of what doesn't work. And he's like, listen, you can beat yourself up. You can try as hard as you want to do it. You can follow your heart, but it's not going to lead to righteousness. And so we go into chapter 8, and he begins to tell us how we can live it. But listen to this. This is what's awesome. It's coming out of sin and shame and guilt. He says this, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. He's coming out of this thing and He's going, Who can save me? I am miserable. I am a wretch. I am the worst of the worst. Who is going to help me? And He says, Thanks be to God. Thanks be to Jesus Christ who has come into my life and who is showing me the way um, to live a life that honors him by the power of the Holy Spirit that I can live a life that honors him. Isn't that awesome? He goes in the word. If you're reading your Bible and it says, therefore, you really need to look at what was before it, right? Because he said something and he's saying, and therefore. It's a continuation or, or kind of the summary of that thought. And so he says, therefore, and he's going back and looking all the way from the beginning of the book of Romans, all the way to where we're at now. And he's saying, therefore, there's no condemnation for you. There's none. And Christ has given you a way for you to live a righteous life. He's given you the way. And then he goes in and he begins to tell us about that. And I want to read some of these scriptures to you. And I'm going to uh, do this by asking you a few questions. And just letting you think about where you're at. And, 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 and let God speak to your heart about these things. Romans 8, 3 and 4, it says, For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. The first question I want to ask you as we look at this way of living the life of Christ is who or what are you depending on? Who or what are you depending on? For your righteousness? For the righteousness that's been given to you? Are you trusting in the righteousness of Christ? Are you still trying to earn it? And who are you depending on to live the life that Christ died for you to live? Are you depending on your own strength? Are you depending on the Holy Spirit? The cool thing about Romans chapter 8 is that the Spirit is mentioned 20 times. 20 times. Some of y'all are going to count. I know you have like a, just going through there circling. 20 times that the, Holy, the Spirit is mentioned in the book of Romans. You think it might be kind of important that we live by the Spirit. Yes. It is important that we begin to live by the Spirit of God. He's saying, listen, you can't do this on your own. Who are you dependent on? And he's looking at it, and he's saying that, 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 that the deal is, we've already, I've already told you, you can't do it on your own. You can't live the life that Christ died for you to live. You can't live a Christian life. You can't live the, the life that God wants you to live apart from him. So what are you depending on? What are you depending on? I really believe this. I believe that so many Christians live in a place where they don't know 
what God's capable of because every time things begin to look a little shaky, we turn and run the other way. And if we're depending on our own nature, then that's probably a smart decision. But if we're dependent upon God and his spirit to work in our lives, then we're not called to run. We're called to stand. We're called to stand up and be people who trust in the power of God. So who are you depending on? Number uh, two, Romans 8, 5 through 8. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Second question is this, where's your mind? Because there's something that I realize is that your mind, your mind is set upon your affections, is it not? Do you not think about those things that you love? If you love football, when you wake up Saturday morning, what is your mind on? Football. If you love hunting, when you wake up in the morning and it's cool outside, what do you think about? Hunting. Listen, when you started dating your wife or your husband, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, who did you think about? Them. I remember when Susan and I started dating, man, that's all I could think about. I couldn't wait to get home after football practice so I could call her. And then we went, for two hours, we'd sit there like this. <laughs> I'd be like, what you doing? Homework. What you doing? Nothing. <laughs> what you thinking about? Homework. What you thinking about? Nothing. <laughs> you know, it was true. I'd probably just sitting there looking at the wall. You know, but we did that. Why? Because, man, that was all I could think of. That's all I wanted to do was, is just, just at least hear her breathe. Be like, <sighs> you know, just listen to her breathe. It was like, man, it was so awesome. And my mind was consumed with her. It was, it was the thing I thought about. So the question becomes, does God have our heart? Do we love God? Do we love him? Because if we do, then our mind will have a tendency to be set on him. Listen, we think about the thing that we love the most. So do we think about God other than when we sit down to do our five-minute devotional of duty, right? It's like the duty devotional. We have to sit down and make sure we get it done in order to feel good about ourselves. No, man, when you're going through the day, is your mind, is your heart set on God? Is he the most important thing? Because your mind sets upon those things that are important. Is he the most important? Do you really um, have him there as, a, as, as the most important thing in your life? Because the other thing he says is this, this that the... Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. I want to be pleasing to God. I want him to know um, that I'm doing my best to live my life for him. Am I perfect? No. But we can live a life that is, uh, that is pleasing to him and it's lived through the Spirit. Listen, Romans 8, 9 through 11. You, however, not, are controlled not by the sinful nature but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of God of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Next question is this. Who's in control of your life? The Bible says two things. One is that if you're a Christian, then you have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is living in you. So if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. The other thing is that if you are a Christian, the Spirit lives in you. It is in control of your life. And I ask this question, if you're feeling torn apart between the things you want to do and the things you know God's leading you to do, then maybe it's because you've never submitted control to Christ. Maybe it's because you've never submitted control to the Spirit of God. And we're still trying to live our life and wanting to live this God life. And so it's like we're being torn apart. I would encourage you today to submit control to Christ. I would, I would ask you today to submit your life to the control of the Holy Spirit that you can begin to fulfill all that he's called you to be. Listen to this, 12 through, um, actually we're going to read 15 and 16. Shorten this up a little bit. Romans 8, 15 and 16, it says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The picture that Paul's trying to paint here is a picture of adoption. 
Because see, in Roman times, whenever someone was adopted, it was as though they began a new life. Even if they had debt, the debt was forgiven, they went to a new family, and they belonged to that new father. Their father, they, they, they became an heir. They, everything about it, if the father had more children, they were as equal to the, uh, those other children as, as, um, as, as he, the new adopted son was equal to the natural sons, right? Or daughter, okay? And so they had the equal rights of, of everything. And so what we've got to begin to see is that we have been adopted. But the question on this one is, do you see yourselves as part of the family? Do you see yourselves as part of God's family? Do you see yourself as a child of God? Because I believe it changes everything. It changes everything for your life. You begin to know that you belong to God. Listen, my children may do some things that aren't right, but I haven't kicked them out of the house yet, right? They're like seven. They'll always be a part of my family. They'll always be a part of who I am. You are a part of God. And see, here's another question that we need to answer. If you're in Christ, here's the, here's the question. Do you see yourself as a part of God's family, but also do you view yourself as a piece of the church or, or, or as, a, um, as a part of the church or is the church who you are? And when I say church, I don't mean the building. I don't mean, I mean the body. Do you see yourself as a part of these people sitting here today who are a part of Christ? Because it changes everything. You weren't supposed to walk through this life. You can't overcome sin on your own. You can't live the life that Christ wants you to live by yourself. You've got to have somebody to lock arm in arm with you and walk through life with you. You've got to have a brother or a sister to walk through life with you, to encourage you, to hold your feet to the fire whenever you want to begin to go another way. You've got to have that person. And so do you see yourself as a part of the family? Romans 8, uh, 22 through 25. Listen, almost there. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The fifth one is this. Do we really believe that fighting against sin is worth it. Listen, Paul's telling us right here, he's saying, listen, you, you have the first fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit has been given to you as a deposit, meaning that he has deposited something in you that promises you one day you will be born or you will receive the full payment. He's gonna purchase you completely. And he's saying, you've received the first fruits. You've received this. And he says, even creation groans for the day that God comes back and he redeems the earth, that the, the new heaven and earth come and that we begin to live a new life that, that, that is perfect and everything is, is brand new. And he's saying creation is groaning for this. Creation's longing for this. And he's saying, if you've got the first fruits of the spirit, you're groaning and you're longing. There's something in you that wants it, that wants to see it come. And here's my thing is I think about if we have tasted the divine nature of God, how can we not want to live for God. If we've tasted it, we went, um, we went to Longhorn the other night and, uh, man, we got that two for whatever, like that meal where you get like two plates and it's only like $942. I think <laughs> it's like some kind of real good deal they got going. And, um, so we got that and, uh, and it was really good. And we also ordered an appetizer because you got like a salad and an entree and a dessert. And we're like, man, I'm going to get an appetizer too. So we had like bread because, you know, you always eat so much bread that you get full. And, you know, like, I don't even feel like eating. And then you eat the whole thing. And uh, as if it makes you feel better about all you're about to eat. And so we had bread. We had salad. I had a steak. Man, it was awesome. I had um, um, like four gallons of, of water to drink with it. So the bread kind of expanded in my stomach. And then I was so full I couldn't hardly move. And then he comes out and he's like, now what dessert do you want? I was like, man, we can't eat dessert. He's like, well, you got it. You know, you're paying for it. I was like, bring me a dessert then. You know, if I'm paying for it, I'm eating that thing. And so he goes and, and he brings out this, I don't even remember what it was called, but he brings it out and it's like huge, two huge pieces of cake with like this chocolate mousse kind of stuff and, and with like whipped cream and all this stuff on it. And he sets it down in front of us and I'm like, man, I can't eat that. I'm so full. And we sat there and we ate every bit of it. We, it was like when we were leaving, we were like, Ugh. you know, it was like, 
That's Susan taking my hand and putting it to my mouth, you know. Well, I can't move. No. But, but it was so good. And, you know, and, and it, was like, it was like literally divine, man. I was like, I was pretty sure God just served it right on down, you know, right from heaven. It was awesome. And we ate every bit. And the problem was I took that first bite, and it was so good. I was like, uh-uh. And then I was eating on my, my brother-in-law's Sunday. He had one of those, like, little fudge Sundays. I'm, like, tearing that thing up, too. And, uh, and then I wonder, like, why I have to pull my love handle in to see if my microphone's on. And um, so, but, but we ate every bit of it. And the deal is, and the point of that is, listen, when you've tasted something that is absolutely awesome and incredible, you want all of it. You don't want to settle for a bite. I would have been mad if you said, get you a bite, and then you pull that plate. We would have fought because I wanted more of that cake. And so... The deal is, man, when we taste God, we got to have more. And we need to realize that, listen, what we're tasting now is just a little hint of what's to come. It's that foretaste. It's that little bit of, 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 of what's going to happen when Christ comes back for his children. And we have that. And so we long for it. We want to fight for it. We want to know him. We want to live a life that honors him because we've tasted how awesome he is. 8, eight uh, 26 and 27, almost done. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Number six, do you believe that God is fighting with you in the battle? Do you believe that God's fighting with you? One of the things that, that I find with Christians is most of the time we feel like we're fighting against God, not fighting against sin and the pull of the world. We feel like we're fighting against God. And it's very clear right here that the Spirit of God is interceding for us. God is on your side. He wants this to happen for you. He wants you to live this life. He wants you to, to, to be an overcomer. He wants you to be able to show people in the world who He is. And it says that he, the Spirit of God groans with words that we cannot express. And you think about it, He just said creation's groaning. Creation's groaning for the revealing of the Son of Man. Creation's groaning because it's been subjected to frustration. And we all know frustration. We all know. How many of you would just be okay if Jesus came back? If you know Him, it'd be all right, right? You're just like, woohoo, we live on woo, eternity. Yeah. And so we're like in this tension of, of, of waiting on Christ. We're in this tension, and he says, but listen, the Spirit groans also. And the Spirit knows your, your heart. He knows the heart of the Father, and he's interceding on your behalf. Listen, you don't serve a God who is up there passively watching. You have a God who is in the fight with you, whether you're in a good place or a bad place. You're in, you have a God who is in the fight with you right now, and he's interceding for you. The thing that we need to begin to do is we need to begin to fan into flame that that God has put into our heart. I don't know if you've ever been built a fire and you had to get down and you had to blow on the flames to get them to rekindle. Listen, that's what happens when you read your Bible. That's what happens when you begin to pray. You don't do it out of some legalistic duty. You do it to fan into flame what God has put in your heart. You don't come to church to check it off your list. You come to be encouraged so that you realize I can live a different life. I can live a life that God wants me to have. I can actually imitate Christ on this earth so that people can come to the knowledge of him because right now up to this point, the church has done a pretty horrible job of that. But God doesn't want it to end that way. God wants us to give a correct display, a good display of who he is, a correct picture. The last thing, Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that in all these things, God works for good of those who love him and called according to his purposes. Do you trust that God's working for good? If you trust that God's working for good, why would you, why would you fight against him? See, I think there's probably every one of us in here right now know that God's pulling us one way or another that he's trying to take us to one place or another, that he's trying to do something in our lives. And some of us are being torn apart because we just don't want to submit to that. We don't want to let that go. We don't want to say, okay, God, you have your way. Why, if God is good, if he's working for good in our lives, why will we not submit to that? And Paul comes to this place where he's at a climax, man, in this, this, um, this scripture. And he goes on and he says, what can we say? If God's for us, who can be against us? He, he who did not spare his own son, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against us? Who is he that condemns us? Christ died. He's at the right hand of the fathers making intercession. Who will separate us? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Nothing can separate us. And he's actually looking at his adversaries, those who might bring a re rebuttal against him. And he's like bowed up at them. You ever seen somebody just get bowed up where they just bow their, bow their chest up? He's bowed up saying, you can't say anything against God. 
How could you say anything against this, this God who's done this? There's no way you can because he is the righteousness. He has given us the ability to have righteousness. And he's saying nothing can separate you from him. So my question, I guess the last thing I want to leave you with is where are you with that? Are you trusting in him? Are you, are you leaning on your own ability? Are you living for yourself and, and for your self-gratification? Are you able to say, man, I'm trusting in Christ because I guarantee you this, the best way is to trust in him. He's working for our good. He's at work all the time. And he says, listen, if you'll trust in me, if you'll, if you'll set your heart and your mind on me, then I'll make you more than conquerors. You can overcome anything. I want you to know today that there's nothing in your life right now. There's no sin. There's nothing that you can't overcome through the power of Jesus Christ. There's no trial that you're going through that you can't overcome through the power of Jesus Christ. There's no valley that is so deep that his arm won't reach down and pull you up. There's no mountain so high that you could escape him. And Christ, Christ, and the the Spirit of God would long that we'd submit our lives and begin to live a life that honors him, the, the sanctified life. God working out his righteousness in us that he's already given us, that he would have his way in us. And so I want to encourage you today, submit your life to him. Let him have it. Let him him have all of who you are, whatever you're holding back. Today's the day. Let it go. And begin to walk and honor him with all of who you are and what he's created you and called you to be. Let's pray.